How's it going, everyone? It's Michael Kozlowski here with Goody Reader Radio. It's Sunday, June 14th here at GoodyReader.com, and we'd start to show off. We're going to talk to you about some site-related news. Uh, as you probably all know, we relaunched our forum about a week ago. And this is your online portal to talk about anything to do with ebooks, digital publishing, e-readers, and all that jazz. You can listen to our podcast. There's a dedicated podcast area, and it's a good avenue to ask us any types of e-reader related questions that you may have. We're also running a contest where we're giving away a free Kindle Basic. This is the simply known as the Kindle. It's the first basic model Kindle with a touchscreen. Uh, retails about $99 or so, and we're giving it away for free. Uh, you can visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash goodyreader for all the details and learn how you could win a Kindle. Uh, we run these contests every month or so, give away e-readers, smartphones, tablets, and all that. I got a few Barnes & Noble items to get into, among others, this show primarily looks at the last week where we will curate the best stories in regards to e-readers and e-books to just give you a sense on if you miss reading our website on a day-to-day basis. This podcast will kind of give you the rundown of the most important and most newsworthy things in this space. First of all, Barnes & Noble... They pulled out of Luxembourg, and they're the first major e-reader company to pull out. Uh, Amazon, Kobo, Apple, Google, everyone is based in Luxembourg. And this was primarily done because it was a good place to expand all over Europe, but they only had 2% that. And for the last like five or six years, if you bought, say, a Kindle ebook in the U.K., you wouldn't have to pay the 19% VAT that UK residents have to make on purchases. They had paid the 2% VAT on ebooks, which lowered the price of ebooks because the old VAT system affected the country in which the content originated in, not the country that the person lives who actually bought the content. Now, this situation was reversed at the beginning of the year, uh, January 3rd, I believe, where they kind of flip-flopped. It's no longer the VAT being charged in which the country of origination, it's the country in which you live that you buy the ebook. So people in Spain pay more, uh, pay less than, say, a resident in the UK pays. Now, the VAT's factored into the ebook costs, but ebook costs have risen in many European countries. Now, due to this and not you know, uh, fewer ebook sales, not much of a market presence anywhere in Europe except for really the UK. Barnes and Noble um, abandoned their Luxembourg corporate headquarters, so this really puts the kibosh on any type of international expansion plans uh, to other countries in Europe. Getting out of Luxembourg basically tells me that they're only going to focus all on the UK and the US and are not interested in focusing on any other markets. Now, it's important to note that the Windows 8 app that they had developed due to a multi-hundred million dollar investment from Microsoft allowed Barnes & Noble to create a Windows 8 app of Barnes & Noble that sold ebooks in 30 different countries. 
now that Barnes & Noble bought back their stock from Microsoft and paid them less money than Microsoft originally invested, there's no reason why to expand. So the fate of this app is yet unknown. But we do know that all plans for international expansion uh, have been stopped. Now, this kind of begs the question. Uh, when I write stories like this, I inevitably be, get, be getting feedback from people. You know, uh, What's Barnes & Noble doing? Don't they know that the UK and US are the most heavily saturated markets? Why aren't they keeping pace with Kobo and Amazon in terms of international expansion, uh, selling more hardware. Uh, Barnes & Noble pretty well just generated $45 million last quarter. Uh, They're on pace for about $150 million a year in 2015, whereas in 2011, they generated, I believe it was $965 million. I just have to double check on the article here just to give you like the exact amount. All right. So, yeah, sales in 2015 are going to be $190 million, whereas sales in 2011 were $920 million. So, Nook's not doing that well. You know, they had their peak and they've been down ever since, since primarily because U.S. markets so saturated with companies trying to sell ebooks, ebook subscription sites, audiobook services. Barnes Noble has their work cut out trying to make Nook work in these markets that are like notorious for saturation. So, like I said, this inevitably goes to the question where, where where's Nook gone wrong? And we actually wrote an article about this that took a look at the major milestones in the Nook evolution to give us a sense on when did Nook start doing things wrong? You know, up until 2011, they were doing everything right. And then 2012, 2013, 14, 15, it was just this nonstop decline. Things like this don't happen overnight. Users just don't abandon the platform. Users that have Nooks don't just suddenly go out and buy Kindles or iPads or competing devices. There's things that happen that drive users away. And I got a few of them here just because I've been covering the e-reader industry since before even Barnes & Noble even launched the Nook, launched an e-book store. So let's look at some things. The Nook tablet debacle. The first major disconnect between Barnes & Noble and their growing user base was December 21st, 2011, when the company disabled the ability to sideload apps from other Android markets. The Nook tablet had a firmware update 1.4.1, and it closed a loophole that allowed people to install apps via the web browser. Since it was around Christmas, many people who received this tablet as a gift returned them in the thousands. Uh, The Nook boards, which is the Barnes & Noble Nook official forums, literally blew up from angry customers who said they would never do business with the company again. So this was tablets. Now, e-reader has been pretty consistent, but in April 2012, Barnes & Noble unveiled their second generation Nook Simple Touch for $139. The prime selling point behind this model was the frontlet technology, and this allowed you to read in the dark. Incidentally, Barnes & Noble was really the first company to do LED lights projecting light across the screen rather from behind the screen into your eyes like tablets do. And then by the end of the year, 
you know, we saw the paperweight, we saw Kobo, uh, and all, all the European country companies start releasing e-readers with front-led technology. So many people were unaware of this in early 2012. It was until about midway during the year when we broke the story that had to do with memory partition. And Barnes & Noble changed the partition to only allow 500 megabytes of user-loaded content, even though there's four gigabytes of on-device storage. So this prevented users from adding an exterior ebook collection to their e-reader. So if you want to load in your own PDF files or in your own ebooks, that's okay, but you only have 500 MB of space to work with. For instance, the Dungeons Master's Guide, which is a large PDF, and we use this as a stress test for the PDF capabilities in many e-readers. That file is 180 MB, so we can only really load maybe two and a half copies of it before we got ran out of all of the on-device storage. And this again drove many users to abandon the platform. In early 2014, Barnes & Noble removed the ability to download ebooks that customers had purchased from the Nook online store to their computer. If you bought a book on your tablet, like the Nook HD, HD Plus, or if you bought an e-book on an e-reader, all of those purchases were accessed via the, your sort of cloud locker on the main Nook website on your PC. This allowed you to download the books to your computer, to load them on your Nook uh, onto other devices, or as many people did, they just stripped the, the digital rights management, which was basically a fancy way of saying encryption on ebooks. So Barnes & Noble disabled the ability for users to back up their books to their own computer and <laughs> people began to openly mock the company for being out of touch with user demands. In August 2014, Barnes & Noble made the internal decision to outsource their line of Nook tablets to Samsung. Then result, the Samsung Galaxy Tab 4 Nook 7 and 10.1 inch editions. Uh, the funny thing about this, these two tablets is that there's no Barnes & Noble or Nook branding on the entire tablet. It just says Samsung. And if you were to put the Samsung Galaxy Tab for Nook or and the Samsung Galaxy Tab side by side, there's virtually there's no difference with the hardware. It's all software. Barnes & Noble preloaded on this tablet about six or seven apps. Everything from your library, which shows in magazine, newspapers, ebooks, kids' books, or uh, audiobook content that you've purchased. Uh, the other things are basically a bookstore managing your device. <laughs> Not very compelling. And those were the things that really drove users away from the platform those those were like the the benchmark moments in which people realized that maybe this brand is not for them and in, when you read these headlines about how each quarter at Barnes & Noble hardware sales are lower than the one quarter it's because of things like this and I really wish that the company would turn things around they got rid of almost every executive that was there from the formation of the Nook division and probably last half of 2014 early 2015 they basically clean house like new CEOs new executives in charge of digital content the marketing department they got all new people in charge there so hey Maybe things could happen, but do you think that the reason why Barnes and Noble's not really making money, much money in eBooks, is just because eBook sales are down? Well, a new report has surfaced that says uh, eBook sales have peaked, and if we look at a few things 
Last year in 2014, uh, ebook sales were down 6% in the U.S. Uh, the e-reader and ebook industry often run in par- parallel when it comes to consumer demand and broad acceptance of digital reading. Since 2013, the sales of ebooks have been more or less flat, rising and falling by a percentage point or two. But it looks from all data currently available, the ebook sales have peaked, and it's very unlikely the format will ever account for more than 21% of global sales or publisher revenue. Now, there's no denying that the printed format is enjoying a resurgence and many book sales bookstores in the uk and us are reporting accelerated demand during the last calendar year the ceo of the largest bookstore in the uk waterstones went so far so far to say that kindle sales have fallen off a cliff and no one is buying them anymore now the amazon kindle came out in 2017 uh sorry 2007 and a year later over 10 million ebooks were sold this figure dramatically rose by 4,000% a few years later, but demand for the electronic format has waned. Now, less than 4% of people now read ebooks exclusively. Print continues to enjoy a 4 to 1 ratio over the electronic form. Now, let's look at some, some statistics. The Association of American Publishers annual data actually backs up the, my argument here. Over the course of 2014, 2.4 billion books were sold in the U.S. 510 million of these were ebooks. Sounds like a large figure, but again, ebook sales have fell 20, uh, fell 6%. We see a steady transition in reading from print to digital, says Amazon Vice President Russ Giardi. He arbitrates the small no- growth rate to the law of large numbers. As ebooks have grown from practically nothing, you can't expect it to keep doubling every year. The ebook industry has consolidated in the US from many different players to only two. Sony closed one of the longest lived ebook stores in the world and discontinued making e readers. Kobo got the hell out of the US and instead is focusing their efforts on Canada and international markets. Barnes Noble continues to lose customers by the boatload, but somehow, despite themselves, still remain in business. In the last few years, Amazon will likely be the last one standing as they already control 75% of the US ebook market and 95% in the UK. If you read lots of statistics and reports on the ebook industry like I do, you start to notice trends. E-reader and ebook sales peaked in 2012 and have been relatively stagnant ever since. Again, few percentage points here and there, no dramatic rise and fallings. The people who made the decision to read digitally are already doing it, and the folks who enjoy the print format will continue to buy it. There will likely never be an e-reading boom period for at least a generation, not until things like... Uh, virtual reality is becoming the norm and you can browse any library in the world or any types of new content delivery methods that we have yet to really uh, discover or have yet to be created. So inevitably we talk about ebooks and people pirate them. Piracy and ebooks, uh, they pretty well go hand in hand. 
if there's any new title that comes out, instead of buying it, you can go to a torrent site or you can go to like an ebook piracy site like Mobilism, where people actually do bounties on new books for people to post them, uh, giving in, in forum currency. It's very extensive, very complicated, but it's actually worth it for people to pirate stuff to have a higher elevated standing or VIP status within the community. So, why are people pirating? Is it a moral decision? Is it a financial decision? Is it just a sense of entitlement? Well, the European Commission's vice president has admitted that EU copyright law is pushing people to steal uh, because users end up seeking pirated copies of ebooks that might not be legally available to be purchased uh, in their own country. Many people within the EU, EU Commission are publicly stated that one of the reasons why piracy is running rampant is because of geo-blocking. They use the argument that, you know, the Amazon bookstore in the UK will not allow people in France to access that store, therefore not having access to the same sort of content. You know, this has nothing to do with it. It's copyright law. It's a contractual issue concerning the markets that the publishers purchase the rights to distribute the material into and which ones they don't. This is why big events like the London Book Fair, Frankfurt Book Fair, and Book Expo America are so critically important to the publishing industry. They provide avenues for publishers to sell the to sell the distribution rights into other markets and also sell the translation rights. So those are two pretty important things. So Amazon, Apple, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, Google et al. operate digital bookstores in which consumers can purchase and read ebooks. Sadly, these retailers do not provide service in every country in the world. This is primarily due to publishers' rights in a specific region or the bookstore not having the proper infrastructure to provide service. You know, there's a reason why Amazon's not in every country in the world. It's because of setting up data centers for their own content delivery networks, for their own caching systems, for hiring staff, is it really financially worth it to spend, you know, a few hundred million dollars sending infrastructure if you're not getting any tax breaks from like the local government? So does the lack of accessibility drive people to pirate? I don't think it's an issue of accessibility, but a cultural drive to consume things for free without having to pay for it. Just because the digital title not, may not be available in your own country, you can still order the print edition online. DTI News recently did a report on ebook piracy in Vietnam. They stated, The problem here is awareness of the copyright. In developed countries where customers always believe that they have to pay for all products and services, thus facilitating the development of ebooks. Meanwhile, Vietnamese pe people have the habit of using products and services free of charge. China is the second largest ebook market in the world, and the, and the digital publishing industry has shown very impressive growth. Ebooks, digital newspapers, and digital magazines grew by 52.6% in 2012. It's currently estimated that 200 million Chinese consumers read digitally on a daily basis. Now, the big problem in China is not necessarily ebook piracy, where people are downloading ebooks, stripping the DRAM, and re-uploading it like it is in North America, but the need to replicate physical books and sell them cheaper or to convert 
or scan and make these digital editions available for free. The local publishing industry has not really tackled this problem in a meaningful way because it's considered a cultural norm. Some companies do speak out though. It's, unvo it's unavoidable to have so many pirated books on the market. I think lo all local publishing houses should co cooperate to combat piracy and to build a m market with a more rational order, said Wu Hong, vice editor-in-chief of Shanghai Traditional Publishing House. Well, it's a tall order, no doubt, giving that cheap pirated editions crop up on a regular basis. In fact, a parallel industry thrives in China where they take great pride in coming up with exact clones of the original, be it electronics or anything else. There's actually a story that circulated around 2013 where an entire Apple store was replicated in China and they actually closed it down. Uh, meanwhile, in Spain, ebook piracy has resulted in a 350 million euro. So it's 350 million dollars or euros in lost revenue for the three billion euro Spanish publishing industry. So, is it possible to even combat this? Well, there's many, many major barriers for the publishing industry to create a unified front in which a clearly defined anti-piracy campaign could be launched. For one, they all compete against each other, and somehow they magically got in one room to discuss the issue. It would be collusion. This is illegal in the U.S. and likely to be considered to uh, forming a cartel, which is illegal in the U in the United Kingdom. So. It's coming from government and third parties that are basically having to combat this issue for the piracy, uh, for the publishing industry. Uh, the, the vast majority of anti-piracy technologies are really stemming from uh, two companies. Um, from, okay, so from Bookstream and Digimark. These are two companies that are growing in Europe because people tend to have an aversion to like Adobe DRM. People like downloading a book and being able to sh give it to their friends or being able to load it on as many devices as they want without the need for third-party software. They just want to download the book to their computer, you know, drag and drop it into their smartphone and they could just read it. And that's why digital watermarking or social DRM is starting to catch off. But governments too are trying to do something about it. France has stepped up their game to combat digital piracy. They ran a national promotional campaign that featured young actors and celebrities to build cultural awareness about this issue. Libraries and bookstores also got into action, letting their customers know that this is bad behavior that needs to be curtailed. Their efforts helped boost digital content sales by anywhere between 5 and 30%, uh, depending on the content, young fiction, um, carpentry, things like that. Uh, the United Kingdom is set to unveil a brand new anti-piracy campaign educating people about copyright law and legal ways to download legal you know, uh, digital content. Uh, but ebooks are not even the focus. Uh, the goal in the UK is to send UK internet users who pirate films and music, just giving them a warning. Um, they give you three strikes a year, basically, but there's no punitive action that could actually derive from it. They just send you emails. Now, this is the first time that they're really doing this, um, that they're, you know, 
actually sending emails to people. Four years ago, the UK government brokered talks between media outlets and internet service providers. This resulted in the creation of the Voluntary Copyright Alert Program. Um, all the major film studios and ISPs signed off on it. So the first practical thing that they did uh, in terms of ebooks was May 2015. A UK high court ruled that five of the largest internet providers had to block access to several piracy websites. All the big ones participated in it, and they all basically blacklisted these ebooks from showing up during UK search results. So this is the first time that all the ISPs, the government, and the Publishers Association basically said, you know, <laughs> these these sites had a hundred had 1.75 million takedown requests from authors and publishers in the last year. 80% of their content infringed on publishers' rights. So something had to be done. But it was good that sort of the film and music industry developed an infrastructure by from government and the internet service providers to be able to basically say, you know, if these sites are like doing something terrible, we now have the power via court order to shut them down. So that's just in the UK, though. I mean, everywhere else, you know, Vietnam, the Philippines, China, uh, even in the US, I mean, rampant piracy is is the norm. When you tell your friends, hey, you know, just torrent it, you know, where do I get this new album? Just just Google and download it off of torrent site. That's many people, when I ask them where they're going to get it, that's that's what they tell me. So piracy, I guess, is like it's a moral choice. Whether to do it or not defines your character. Ebook piracy is just not black and white, dare I say, it's 50 shades of gray. So here's a few situations that I came up with that would be like a moral conundrum. Uh, what if you knew the online bookstore you had been buying ebooks from during the last three, three years just suddenly was going out of business? They sent everyone an email, we're going out of business, you have like you know, a few weeks to back up your collections or it's all gone. Scholastic Storia did that. Um, there's been a number of ebook stores in uh, the UK that have done it. Sony even did it. You had a small window in which you could download your purchases. And once the bookstore went out of business, well, you're kind of out of luck. So you had to, you had to make a, a, a choice, you know. Do you abide by the licensing agreement that says you haven't bought these books? They're just licensed to you. And despite the fact that you purchased them, you you know that they're going to disappear. Maybe you haven't checked your email in a while. Just suddenly one day you load up the app and it's like, hey, where did my 300 books go? Would you strip the DRM to protect your investment via local backups? Or would you f abide by the constraints of the law? Uh, what if you lived in the UK and wanted to buy the ebooks from Amazon, but the extra 19% of that is starting to add up? Should you use a US address and US credit card to save money and buy Kindle books from the American version of the store? You're not really paying UK taxes. You're shopping in a competing country to buy content. Not exactly moral, not exactly illegal. What if you're a student on a budget and came down to not eating or buying books that you needed? 
would it be okay to download a few for free from the internet knowing that when you get out into the workforce you can afford to buy them? What if you're a poor university student and it's either buy this textbook for $300 or pirate the textbook in a PDF format and use the money for food or for going out for for being able to survive uh, what if you're a voracious reader and like to experiment with new authors and genres is it okay to pirate a bunch of books and then buy the ebook editions of the authors that you truly liked what if you live in a country where many of the books you want to buy online aren't simply available is it a valid reason to pirate the book knowing that you would pay for it if you simply could pay for it these are conundrums you know and People are faced with choices like this all the time. Is it okay to pirate? Well, my situation's kind of different from the norm. You know, all all situations are different. You know, you always have the option to somehow pay for it or to pirate it. And I I think that that, that defines your character, you know. And if you're the type of person to not really be concerned about laws or to be like, well, it's easier to do this, you know, Maybe you like to just take the easy way out and, and not fight. So this is all the big news on e-readers and e-books during the last week. I'll end it off on another piracy issue, the brand new simply titled Grey by E.L. James, which is the new Fifty Shades of Grey novel. The manuscript was found to be missing, and it's fear thieves may be planning to release pirated versions of the novel or sell extracts to media outlets. Uh, the Kent police are aware of this and investigating it. The book will continue to still be available for its June 18th launch, but it's not surprising that a major ebook is stolen. And no one really knows what's being done with it a few weeks before release. I mean, uh, J.K. Rowling, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows, the last of the seven-part series, was leaked to the internet days before the official release date, leading bloggers to write lists of all the characters who died in the final book online. Stephanie Mayer began writing a book called Midnight Sun that retold Twilight from the perspective of Edward Cullen, much like how Grace told from the perspective of Christian instead of Anna. Uh, the manuscript was stolen from Stephanie and leaked online in early 2008. She was so crestfallen that she decided to cancel the project. She outlined in a big blog post that, you know, I can tell who leaked it because... The different versions I was sending to people were, were different. My edits, my tweaks and things like that. I knew who did it, but I have that, you know, that it was just basically, you know, it was a crappy circumstance, you know, where someone leaked a book and the author was just like, F this, you know, I'm... I'm not going to write it anymore because if my manuscript's leaked, is the final version going to be leaked as well? Well, the industry is teaching us that when it comes to big books, it's worth it to pirate it. You know, the, the file torrent site that ends up hosting this is going to make hundreds of thousands of dollars in people clicking on ads on sort of those ad network black holes where you click on a pirate site and 
three different browser windows open, you know, people trying to sell you on get rich quick scheme or adult content, things like that. They're going to make a boatload of money. So it's, it is profitable to pirate. Sometimes it's just not a personal decision to get one book for free. Sometimes it's more profitable to steal a surefire bestseller and then sell it to a torrent site, sell it to a file sharing site, sell it to newspaper people so they could publish some exclusive, exclusive quotes right before demand is that zenith before the release. For Giddy Reader News, my name is Michael and everybody take care.